Morning. You want to open up to Nehemiah 5. I'm going to read Nehemiah 5 here. Just while you're turning there, I'll just review some of the things we talked about. When we read the Old Testament, we think, how does this point to Christ? Is there a promise uh, that is fulfilled in Christ? And is this an example that we can either avoid or follow? So we talked about how in Nehemiah we see Christ um, in many ways. We see Nehemiah pointing to Christ. Um, specifically, we talked about how in Revelation it says that Jerusalem that, uh, represents the bride of Christ, the, the people of God. I'll read you just a verse here. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. There's another verse specifically, too, that talks again later on in that chapter, but it gives you the feel that, you know, when Jerusalem comes down, the new Jerusalem, that that represents the people of God, the bride of Christ, the church. And so as we read through Nehemiah, we see this person, um, kind of a prefiguring of Christ. Nehemiah, in many ways, is like Christ. Um, We talked about a lot of those ways. He leaves his exalted position in the throne room. Um, and instead takes on a humble role of a servant to people who are in misery to deliver them. Well, that's just like Christ. Christ comes down instead of the throne room of the king of Persia. He comes from the throne room of God. God himself becomes a man, leaves his throne to serve us and to save us, to take a humble position. Uh, Just like Jesus says, I came not to be served but to serve. There's a lot of other ways um, Nehemiah is like Christ. He prays he prays for them. He comes to them. He's persecuted for doing good for them. He gives rather than takes. You can watch that for that in this particular chapter. All while accused of being selfish and greedy. All just like Jesus. He's loyal but accused of being a rebel. And he came to do, them, came to do good for others even though... It costs him personally. So we're going to talk about at least one more way, this particular way that Nehemiah is like Christ as he comes in as kind of a a reformer. So let's read chapter 5 here. And you might just think, how is this like Christ? How is Nehemiah being like Christ here? So starting in verse 1. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers, for there were those who said, with our sons and with our daughters, we are many, so let, us, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as their children, yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words, and I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials, and I said to them, You are exacting interest each from his brother. 
And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, We, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. And they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. And I will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep his promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, this is verse 14, Moreover, from that time I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the twentieth year to the thirty-second year of Artaxerxes the king. Twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor, the former governor's who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration forty shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land. And all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because, of this, because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember, for my good, O oh my God, all that I have done for this people. So we've actually already talked, brought that specifically, that passage, that into that passage up in the past, showing how Nehemiah was actually left great wealth behind in his position as a cupbearer to the king of Persia. You know, for 12 years, killing one ox and six sheep every day is like a millionaire today, right? To be able to do that from his own pocket and not take any of the money from his people. And so he left this kind of extravagant lifestyle to just go ahead and be generous and not even take what he could have demanded as a governor but to give. And that, in many ways that's like Christ. But I want to highlight something we already talked about kind of as a way of review as well is we talked about how you know God loves all people and he hates to see when any person is oppressed uh, and is being wronged whether they're a Christian or not a Christian. And so we, we talked about that at the beginning of Nehemiah, and we talked about the walls being broken down and they're not being secured and all those kind of things. And we see that again here. But I want to kind of zoom out from specifically the oppression that happened to the people where they're having to sell their daughters and because they don't have any money for food and they're starving because people are charging them interest, which is another example. Um, but I want I want to look at a pattern that is throughout the whole Bible, but specifically occurs here in, in Nehemiah chapter 5, also in other parts of the Old Testament, and then definitely in the life of Christ. And here's my first point that I want you to think about. Expect, expect 
that when God acts, he brings inward reform as well as outward deliverance. Expect that when God acts, he brings inward reform as well as outward deliverance. So you see here, Nehemiah comes in, and the context is, you know, he's building up the wall. He's helping, he's there to help build up the wall. So it's like these external uh, pressures, you know, these people that are, you know, doing all these unrighteous things. Example, just saying like, they're building up the wall, let's just go kill them, you know, and things like that. Just total injustice. So he's coming to protect from this outward problem, but it doesn't stop there. He comes in and he points the finger inside the walls. And remember, if we talked about how Jerusalem is kind of a picture of the church, um, he's not just coming to say there's all these external problems on the outside and everything is great on the inside. He's coming to build the walls up, protect from the outside, and then reform inwardly as well. Say, well, there's some problems inside the walls. And we can see this throughout the whole Bible that the people of God in general, um, when a prophet comes on the scene, there's this often this misunderstanding. It's like, great, here comes the person of God, and they're going to deliver us from the external problem, whether it's you know this nation or that nation. And they don't ex- what they don't expect is that prophet or that uh, priest to come in and point out their own problems, their own sin inside the walls, inside the people of God. And that happens over and over, and we definitely see that in the life of Jesus. Think about Moses. Think about Moses. When you think about Moses, the first thing you think about, he's, he's there to deliver the people, right? He's there to deliver the people from the Egyptians. But when you read the story, a lot more is going on there. There's, a, there's not just external deliverance. There's internal uh, reform as well. Think about just Moses himself. He comes, God tells him he's going to be the deliverer and sends him to Pharaoh. And he starts dealing with Moses even as he's getting his commission from the burning bush. Remember Moses says, um, well, they won't believe me. And then God tells him why they will. And then he says, well, I can't speak. And then he finally just says, send someone else. It's like God is dealing with his lack of faith even in the midst of sending him to deliver the people of Israel. So he's dealing with these two problems, this external problem of their slaves. But then he's also dealing with their lack of faith. Uh, Moses specifically, but then you see the same kind of thing play out, not just with Moses, but with all the Israelites as they're going through the desert. God delivered them externally, and yet they're grumbling, and they're making idols and worshiping them. So there's both reforms going on. God delivering them externally, but then the kind of reform that most people don't want, which is the internal reform. It's like, well, what about us? What about internally? What about our sins and our hearts? And so you see this over and over. You know, Jonah is another good example. God is going to deliver, you know, send Jonah to tell Nineveh that they need to repent and of their sins. And what's going on, it's not just God externally dealing with this big problem outside of Israel. He's dealing with Israel and Jonah specifically, kind of as this picture of Israel, his angry, proud, selfish, unloving heart throughout the whole book. And you see both going on. And Jonah doesn't want to go. And Jonah is mad when they repent and that God would even forgive them. And so you see both. You see he wants uh, judgment on Nineveh, but he doesn't want internal reform. And the same thing happens to Jesus when he comes, right? People thought, well, the Messiah is going to come? Great, he's going to deliver us from Rome. And then what does Jesus do? He talks about inward problems, right, inside the people of God. And he calls them out, and they don't like that. They don't want that. They want the external deliverance, but not the internal reform. And so here comes the Messiah, and it's not the person they wanted. It, and Peter, in First Peter, kind of does a good quote. 
uh, has a good quote from his letter that kind of summarizes this. It's 1 Peter 4.17. I'll read it to you. It says, For the time... For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? He's saying judgment starts with the people of God. It starts internally. It's not just, your problems aren't just external to you. God's coming to reform the people of God in our hearts. That's the most inward. But then in the church, um, before and along with deliverance from the outside. And so we see this here in Nehemiah 5, obviously, where he comes in and they're building the walls, but yet at the same time he's saying, yeah, but look at all this wickedness going on. When people bring it to him, they're like, well, look, you shouldn't be doing this. You're not supposed to be charging them interest to where they have to sell their fields and then they can't buy food or they have to sell their kids. Um, That's totally wrong. You need to repent. And he's not there just to deliver them from the external but the internal. So we see that throughout the whole Bible. We also see it in the life of Jesus. And the second thing I want to point out that's related to this is that being outwardly connected to the mission of God is not sufficient. Being outwardly connected to the mission of God is not sufficient. So here's Nehemiah building up the wall. We don't, he doesn't name these people, which is kind of interesting. Um, so we don't know for sure if they were helping build the wall or not, but they might have been. They may have very well been helping build the wall and at the same time persecuting the people on the inside. And so being outwardly connected to the mission of God is not sufficient. And we see this throughout the whole Bible. You know, there's many examples we could go through the Old Testament, but let's, let's think about the New Testament in Jesus. He's calling many people out. He's saying you're outwardly connected to the mission of God, the people of God, but that's not sufficient. Um, I'll give you a couple examples from the New Testament. Well, why don't we, we just look at it? You want to turn with me to Luke 6? chapter 6, verse at the very end, verse 46, starting in verse 46. This is Jesus here. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundations on the rock. And when a flood rose and the stream broke against that house... And could, it could not shake it, because it had been built well. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, it immediately fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So here's a good example of the same kind of thing. Specifically, the outward, outward just hearing isn't enough. That's what he specifically says there. If you just hear the word... That's not enough. Or if you just say, Jesus is Lord, just with your lips, that's not enough. That Jesus and God throughout the whole Bible is pressing for the inward reality. He's not just here to deliver us from the world out there, that there's problems in our own hearts and in, in the people of God, within the people of God that he wants to reform. So saying with your lips, that's the outward thing. But you can be outwardly saying the right thing. 
and, and not actually have the real thing. Or you could come and hear Jesus, or you could come to church and hear the sermon preached, or you could open your Bible and even read it and hear, you know, internally. But Christ says if you don't do it, you're like, it's like building a house on a foundation uh, versus building a house with no foundation that's going to be swept away. And this is really scary. This is a, I was uh, reading these verses this week in the New Testament, some of these verses um, not connected to this, but it was just really scary. I mean, these are really scary warnings because it's, I was thinking for myself, I was thinking, okay, well, what about our church, you know? There's a lot of hearing. There's a lot of knowledge. I mean, we preach a different sermon every week. You know, generally there's new information, and I thought myself, okay, what were the last three sermons, you know, and did I actually, like, just listen or, like, say it, in, in my case, on some of them, or did I actually apply it? And the one last week was trusting the Lord in trials, and then before that, Zach came, and he talked about, praying for missionaries, and then before that we talked about faith in the everyday, basically walking in faith and growing in faith. And it it's really scary because I, I didn't apply Zach's message at all. I just heard it, and I went home, and I my life stayed exactly the same. And that's terrifying. <laughs> I was thinking, like, okay, as a church, are we facilitating, or is there any way we could be encouraging more, not like just building up a house that's going to be swept down, not just coming to hear, like coming and just listening. Is that enough? You know, it's very easy to just come and be outwardly connected. Come and listen and just go home and nothing changes. Nothing is applied. Nothing's prayed about. It's just I'm hearing and I go and I leave and then I go on. Just exactly how everything was. And it, and it might look good on the outside, right? Well, I'm coming to church. But it's building a foundation that's can, just going to be totally sw- Building a house on a foundation that doesn't exist. It's just going to be swept away. And it's like really scary to me because we do a lot of hearing. Like I can look right now. There's a lot of people here hearing. But my question would be, are we actually have the internal reality? Are we not only hearing, but doing and applying and trusting God and believing and the internal real things, living it out? Um, you know, one part of, you know, teaching the Bible is knowing what the Bible says, but another part is looking at our culture and seeing where it clashes, right, with with the Bible. And one aspect of our culture is we're a really shallow culture. Like, this describes us pretty well, being outwardly connected superficially, right? I mean, people have more friends than ever, and they're more shallow than ever, less real deep friendships than ever. Kids are lonelier than ever, and they are more connected than ever. It's like this real shallow surface or you know, there's more entertainment, more things to watch than ever. But people, it seems like, from talking, you know, to different, um, you know, kids on the college campus when I pass out tracks or whatever, that they're not thinking deeply about the main and important things in life. They're they're engaged all the time, very shallowly, very not deeply. They're not thinking about their life. They're not thinking about right and wrong. They're just thinking about what entertains me. Um, many times. Uh, when I talk to people, they're not thinking about their soul. Um, and so, but just something to ask myself is like, it scared me. It's like, man, I heard and I didn't apply. Do I even realize it? You know, it's like, are we building a house and not even looking down? It's like, oh, wow, there's no foundation. Um, is that 
the pattern of our life? Is that the habit of our life is just to hear and that's it? Or just to say the right thing and that's it? Or is there a deeper reality? And so I have a question for you to you, you to think about, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this um, just as you think through and pray about this. How do we, as a church, create a culture where we don't just slip into the external automatically? It's like, well, I'll just come and hear. Me. It's, I mean, I come and I hear and I leave and I say hello, but I'm not engaging deeply. I'm just engaging on the surface. I'm just listening, but I'm not applying. I'm just listening, but I'm not trusting. Um, how do we do that? I think part of it is reminding one another it's not enough to just hear. You know, it's not enough just to say Jesus is Lord. We want to Jesus to actually be our Lord, right? We don't want to just say Jesus is our Lord. He specifically says here, why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? Why do you say I'm the, I'm the king of your life, but you're still actually the king of your life? It doesn't matter if you say the right thing if Jesus isn't actually the one you're trusting, living for. And so... We, don't, we want the inward reality, not just the outward connection to the mission. I don't want to just read my Bible every day. I want to be transformed by what I read in the Bible throughout the day, which is very different. I don't want to just say things to you. I want it to be real in my life. I don't want to, um, us to be here and do a lot of listening and a lot of knowing in our mind, but not a lot of applying, because that would be building a big house that's just going to be washed away with no foundation. So how do we build up a culture like that? Well, I think one part of it is talking to one another, knowing one another. Uh, there's, I'm sure there's more we can do. I thought maybe even just like just occasionally reviewing instead of just keep on new thing after new thing, bringing in a new sermon, just maybe even just saying like, well, let's just review what we talked about the last three weeks and just ask, did, did any of this seek into your life or did it all just go into your ears? Right? Like did, did you pray through trials differently because of, you know, what we talked about or at least think about it? Or did you pray for missionaries? Because Zach encouraged us, like, we need prayer. Um, and move. remember the whole thing about moving mountains. We can move mountains through prayer in terms of missions and, and lost people. And then we talked about faith in the everyday. Are we trusting God not just for our sins and our soul, and our, but our life and the everyday things? We want to trust God with our sins, with our soul, but we don't want to stop there and just run through our life without trusting him with our kids, with our day, with our work, with our conversations, you know. And so just maybe stopping and reflecting, you know, think about James. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. How do we set up a culture here where we're not deceiving ourselves, where we're asking ourselves, are we actually looking in the mirror and being changed or just looking in the mirror and forgetting and leaving? Because it's scary. Um, We don't want to be building up the walls on the outside and on the inside, nothing's different. We're not honoring God. Um, because it'd be really easy to feel good, right? Like these guys in the MIF, I'm sure they felt good. If they were helping build the walls, like, man, this is really good. We're building the wall for hundreds of years. You know, it's been torn down, and now we're finally building it up. But then on the inside, there's not the reality there. At at the same time, they're taking advantage of people. And so I'll give you another example. This is more, this is, again, kind of talking to me. So no, this is kind of a good example because no pressure on you for this one. Um, other than to hold me accountable. But I was just thinking, actually turn here with me to 1 Corinthians 13. Just this idea of being outwardly connected is not sufficient.
So think about this in terms of the Sunday meeting, okay? In terms of this is this is uh, about me. Think about a lot of these descriptions right here at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13 could be applied to preaching a sermon, right? And you could preach a sermon and it be outwardly connected to the mission. You're saying good things, you're saying right things, um, but it's not sufficient. It's totally insufficient. You're just building the wall on the outside when there's nothing, when there's oppression and, and sin on the inside. So look at this. Um, just preaching the, a good sermon doesn't mean inward reality. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, am I, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. He's specifically talking about the church meeting here in this context. He's talking about how they have this church meeting and yet there's all this stuff going on that may look outwardly good, but on the inward, inwardly it's bankrupt because it's not coming from a place of, of love. And so this, if we have a sermon on Sunday morning and it's well said, right? It's like, wow, that was clear. I could understand that the illustrations were memorable and uh, engaging. Um, and you have, that would might be speaking in the tongues of men and of angels. Okay, that sounds like a good Sunday meeting. And what if you have, what if the meetings come and the sermons have great theology? That might be understand all mysteries and all knowledge. What if miracles were happening? <laughs> he says faith has to move mountains. But he says, if I don't have love, I gain nothing, and I am nothing. See, it's like the outward, it's like, it looks like, oh man, I'm building up the walls, I'm doing all this outwardly good stuff, and I'm bankrupt. I'm building the foundation. Uh, nope, I'm not building a foundation, I'm just building the house, and it's going to be swept away. That's so scary. We don't want to settle for believing outward connection to the mission is success. So what is a successful sermon, in, according to this passage? It's not just great theology. It's not just saying things, speaking things rightly. It's coming from a place of love. It's like the inward reality. It's like, uh, am I teaching what I'm teaching because I care about you and I love you? Or is it just me being outwardly connected to the mission, but in my heart there's no connection to the mission of God, which is what's God's heart for you? It's lo He loves you. <laughs> he cares for you. Am I entering into that, or am I just being outwardly connected? It's harder to see it, <laughs> right? I mean, it's easy to come and hear, like, well, was the sermon, was it true? Was it well said? Um, that's easy, but... It's harder to see the, the real inward thing, right? How, do you, how would you know if I loved you? You know, you can't see if I'm just studying all week to prepare or if I actually am praying for you and, I, and I'm thinking of you and care for you and love you. And I really want to be a help. It's easier to see and to settle for the outward. So think about that. The best sermons and the best theology in the end can just be burned up. We don't want our church to be like that. We, I don't want to be like that. I want you to hold me accountable to that. So how how do we move forward? Why does God act this way throughout the Bible in the life of Jesus and here in Nehemiah? Why does God why does God act like this? Why does God not just deal with the outward, but he also comes to deal with the inward? 
because he loves us. And both are crucial. It's loving. It's loving for him. And it's essential for him to point to both. So here's the last thing, um, kind of point I want to make is we, and this is kind of just an overflow out of the last point, but we must embrace inward reform as well as outward deliverance. So we want to pursue both. We want to pursue building up the walls, right? That's good. We want to be connected to the mission of God. We do want to say true things. We do want to have good theology, but we don't want to stop there. We want to embrace inward and outward. We want to pursue inward reform as well as outward deliverance in our own lives and in, in the life of the church. So where does it start? It starts with us, each one of us, right, in our own lives. It's so easy. It's really, really easy to know the right thing, but then downshift into something else subconsciously. So I'll give you an example. Like, you're on vacation. What's the priority when you're on vacation? Is it just getting to where you're going, or is it actually to spend time with your family and, and have a good time, you know? It's actually to spend time with your family and, and develop, you know, for most of us, like, have a good family time. But then as you're driving and there's traffic, you downshift into the priority is just to get there. And it's, ter- you know, it, it becomes a terrible time for the family. If that's, you know, even though that's, you know in your mind that's the priority. It's like, we've got to get there. You're upset that there's traffic. You're upset that the GPS isn't working or whatever. And you know the right answer if your wife said, uh, what's the priority here? Is it just getting here? Or is it actually in spending time with the family? Well, yeah, it's spending time with the family. But you downshift into a lesser external priority, and you miss the point, right? And we can do that as a church, too. It's like, what's the main thing? What's the point? You know, what, why are we here? And I think, you tell me what you think on this, um, and I want you to think about this, but I think we downshift into making knowledge. Uh, we know that knowledge isn't the top priority, but we downshift subconsciously into knowledge being the priority. And then it's just, that's it. It's like, well, does the person know good theology? Well, that's, that's actually not the main thing, right? Do we want to know good theology? Yes. Can you know a ton of good theology and have a house that's built on the sand? Yes. And so we've got to, as we're here, you know, on Sunday, and as we talk together and live together, to continually remind each other, like, don't downshift into these secondary things and forget that we actually want to know God, and we actually want to love God, and we actually want to do what he says and actually be connected to him, have a relationship with him, and not just know the facts. Um, and that all starts with each one of us in our own hearts and in our own lives and in our families. Is there any area in our lives where Jesus is not actually Lord? We just say that he is. Just saying he is isn't actually obeying him. Am I, is there any area where I'm just a hearer, or just a learner? I'm just learning, 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 and it's never, it's never soaking into my life and into my family and out. It's just in my brain. That's not sufficient. Or is there any area where we're doing the externally right thing, but there's not inward reality? It's like, think about the songs like we sing. So easy to downshift into singing a song that you know instead of, worshiping God, right? I mean, that's totally different. Just singing a song you know, worshiping God. It's like, how sad if we, subconsciously, it's easy to do it, isn't it? Just to downshift into, I'm just singing a song and not actually be thinking, I'm worshiping God. This is about God. This is about the, 
Jesus who died to save my soul, who was raised again, and, and the reality behind what we're singing, it's so easy. We were talking at the college Bible study about this with the gospel. I mean, it's easy to do this with the gospel. It's one thing to know the gospel right in your mind, but it's another thing to live out the gospel and to apply the gospel to your heart and your life. Um, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That kind of gets both sides of this idea. It's like he's, he's the outward problem, guilt. The inward problem, uh, unrighteousness in our heart. And he's going to deal with both. God's come to do both. He's the outward enemy and in, in some ways is death. And, and, and the inward enemy is unrighteousness in our heart. Um, we are part of the problem, not just the outward situation. But all that is to say that we can know the gospel and live like it's not true. So, like, what's your response and what is my response when we sin? Is it like, I'm going to try really hard to, to do better tomorrow? Because that's not the gospel, right? That's like works righteousness. The gospel is, wow, I'm going to go to Jesus and I'm going to confess that sin and I'm going to ask him to help me. And, and I'm going to trust that I'm forgiven because of what he said, said and did. Not, I'll feel better tomorrow when I'm more patient with the kids or when I actually do read my Bible and don't forget or whatever. You see how you can know the gospel and then you live the opposite. It's like, well, I'm going to downshift into just fixing it myself. We don't want that. And... Um, In the same way that Nehemiah is coming here and he's reforming, uh, he's both internally and externally. Christ is coming to us for both. He's wanting to be king and lord of our life, inwardly and outwardly. And what should our response be? It should be just like the people here. I mean, it's just receive it. Just It's like, yes, you know what? That is that is wrong, and, and we want to be different. Help. And Jesus is willing to help. <laughs> right? Jesus is there. It's not, you can't do this on your own. We can't do this on our own. We need God. We need somebody, Christ, the real and better Nehemiah, to come in to our church and into our lives and reform us internally, deliver us from the external problems and the internal. We need both. We want to be internally and externally honoring to him. So when we see any area in the, in our life that doesn't that's just outwardly conforming but not inward reality, what do we do? We just embrace it and ask for help. We just say, "Yeah, Lord, I have just been singing the songs. Yeah, I have just been reading the Bible. I've not been applying it. I have just been saying the right thing, going through the motions. Help me. Change me. I want to be different." And he's there, able and willing to do it. And that's why he's a greater Jesus is so much greater than Nehemiah. Nehemiah can't change anybody's heart. Uh, he can call them out. Um, but Christ comes not only calling out our sin, but saying, like, I'm going to help you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to not only forgive you of your sins, I'm going to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I'm going to inwardly, you're going to be born again. You're going to be new, and I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you my spirit so that you can be different. That's good news. Finally, one one final way we can apply this is just basically like Nehemiah. It's like, how can we foster this? I'm sure there's a lot of ways we can, and I do want you to think about it and kind of we could just talk about it. 
But one definite thing is, just like Nehemiah, be it, be it, be the reality, right? So he sees them oppressing, and then he does the opposite. So he, instead of oppressing and taking, even taking what he could, he's generous and he's giving, and he's not taking from them. And so he's living out the opposite of what they were doing. It's like, well, he's an example of integrity there and compassion and self, self-sacrifice, service to them, where the others were selfish, not serving them, just thinking about themselves. And so that's one thing we can do is for our kids, for each other, is live out the reality. Just be real yourself. Um, be honest and have integrity. Um, don't just build. Think about Nehemiah had the opportunity earlier on, we saw this, uh, to outwardly build up the wall and kind of be this hero, but then inwardly sin, right? And just go into the temple and go in where it's safe and just hide in there. And he didn't. He didn't do it. He refused. He's like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's the way we want to be. It's like we want to be for both. Uh, outward and inward reform and we ourselves want to live it out and that's what we want for our kids it's like think about you could just think about this as a whole parable for just family right it's like as you're living out your your christian life with your family what's the you know big thing that you're trying to do is it protect your kids from the outside world well it's, that's part of it i mean i think that's true there's things we do want to protect our kids from but then we don't want to neglect that we have sinful hearts as parents and our kids have sinful hearts and there's problems inside that are internal that we need to deal with too. We don't want to give the idea, it's like, yeah, look, we're protecting our kids from the world, we're awesome, but then at home there's not reality or we're not dealing with the internal, our hearts, with our kids. Um, And one thing we can do is be real with them. Um, Embrace both pieces, show them that we're leaning on Christ, that we're looking to the gospel, that we sin and and we have to confess it and repent and think about even just apologizing to your kids how huge that is of just showing them look i sin i mess up and i have to humble myself ask for forgiveness and ask for help that's huge that's huge we want to be doing that as well as you know protecting our kids from things um we want both so just Final thoughts, and, and I kind of want to open it up, not like today, but just uh, have a discussion right here, but something to be talking about, to be thinking about. How do we keep our priorities, the main things, the main things? Honoring God, lo- you know, loving God, loving others, faith, walking in faith. How do we do that without downshifting into just coming and just hearing and just singing the songs and just knowing information? How do we do that as a church because it's set up, I mean, think about it. It's You could do it and nobody would know, right? Just come. You could come and for the last three years just heard and applied zero. And like maybe not even think about it. It's like we don't, we don't ever look back at the, hardly ever, at the sermon like last week or the week before. Or, you know, we talk about what you're reading, but are we talking about, well, what are you applying? Um, we want the real deal so we need help and it's something that i think all of us we need to every part of the body we all need to hold one another accountable and help and be examples to one another there's a i'm not going to read all this because we're going to close here but there's these two churches in in revelation that kind of gets this kind of idea 
uh, where Jesus is, you know, kind of rebuking the churches. And one of them, he says that, you know, well, hey, you guys tested the false apostles and you found that they were, they were false. And so basically you've got good doctrine. And he says, but you're not doing the works you did at first. You've lost your first love, repent. And so it's like, look, they've got the outward, they've got the hearing and they've got the knowing, but they're not, it's not real in their life at all. And they're even kind of in one way you could imagine like they're building up the walls, right? They're like, well, no, like, look, we've got the false doctrine. We've got the false apostles that came to us and we realize, no, that was not the gospel. That's wrong. You know, you're not, you know, teaching the right thing and you keep them on the outside. And yet on the inside of the walls, inside, it's, it's not real. It's not real in their life. And so he's calling them out. It's like, I really don't want to be that. I don't want to be that as a person, but I don't want us to be that as a church and so we've got, it seems like one of the ways we have to do it is just keep talking about it and reminding one another. It's not just about coming and hearing. It's about the reality. We want both um, inward and outward reality. So something we can pray about, but it's something also we can have confidence and be thankful that God isn't going to let us go. This isn't something we have to do on our own. God sent Nehemiah, right? And God sent Christ, and he sent the Spirit to show us and help us to make this not a reality. Even just the fact that in Revelation, he's talking to the churches and he's telling them where they're wrong uh, can be a comfort to us. It's like, we're not going to drift off into this and God's going to just never say anything. He's going to help us. He's going to show us. He's going to convict us. And he's going to help us to move forward. And so we can take confidence and we can take comfort in knowing that we're not doing this alone. We're not trying to figure this out alone. We're leaning on Christ. We're leaning on the God who throughout the whole Bible came to Israel over and over and did this same thing over and over and over and helped them. And then he did it, you know, through Nehemiah here, but also through Christ in the New Testament, coming and just reminding them, yeah, these outward things, building up the wall outwardly, that's good, um, but have it inwardly too. I mean, you've, you've got to have the inward. So we can lean on Christ and we can ask ourselves, you know, um, how are we... Are we applying the gospel? Are we living out the gospel? Or do we just know the gospel? So, um, let's pray together. Lord, we just look to you. And just like we just talked about, I just pray. We can't do this on our own. I just pray you'd forgive us um, ways we fail, when we fall short, and when we downshift into just hearing and knowing and... um, we're not deeply engaging. I pray you'd help us to be a church that deeply engages with you and um, has the real reality, internal and external. So we need your help. Uh, pray that you would forgive us and cleanse us just like you promised in every way, internally and externally. We need help. Would you just give us wisdom? You said that we could ask for wisdom and you would give it. And so here we're asking, we need wisdom, we need help to know how um, we can be protected from just building up a house on sand. We need, we need you to guide us and help us every day in our own lives, but as a church as well. So we need you. Thank you for Nehemiah. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and being an example for us. And um, living a life of integrity, and we're just so thankful for what you've done. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. So we just lift these things up to you and ask for help. Amen.